0: more record-breaking COVID numbers across the state, but are we nearly turning the corner? We're getting the latest from the experts on our fight against COVID-19 and what they're saying about the bill limiting vaccine mandates in our state. All that plus our interview with the Indiana Chamber President, and we'll talk with HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge about the President's first year in office with the administration facing multiple challenges at home and abroad. It's all ahead right now on this week's edition of In Focus. Thanks so much for joining us. More record-breaking numbers this week from the Indiana Department of Health. But some parts of the state, including Indianapolis, are starting to see case counts dropping, a trend that's also playing out in many other major cities where this Omicron wave began. Eric Graves has the latest.
1: There's reason for some optimism, finally. Dr. Graham Carlos, the executive medical director at Eskenazi Health, believes COVID cases may have hit their peak in this surge. I feel like we're past the worst of it and uh, headed towards a downslope, which is great. It's not just a gut feeling either. The numbers appear to back it up. Micah Pollock, an associate professor at IU Northwest, has made a name for himself tracking COVID data during the pandemic. He says that despite testing challenges and an inability to track positive cases from at-home tests, there are still clear signs the beginning of a decline.
2: If cases are dropping and positivity rate are dropping, um, that's a sign that infection is slowing down and that spread is lessening.
1: Pollock has been keeping an eye on the counties where the surge started the earliest. Marion County was one of them.
2: In Marion County, cases peaked around the 8th of January, and they've been falling and they're down about 22% now.
1: Pollock says other counties should follow suit, and we should be just past a peak here in Indiana. It's a positive step, but he says we still have a long way to go.
2: You have to remember that by definition, the peak is the worst place to be in a wave, right? Right, and so we're still very close to the peak, and you know if it's starting to decline, that's good news. But we're still at very close to the worst point of the entire wave statewide.
1: Hospitals are still hovering around the fullest they've ever been during the pandemic. Both Pollock and Carlos expect those numbers to decline soon—a welcome sign for exhausted hospital staff. It's encouraging, simply because we we need a break. It's been a long winter. Carlos says it's still important for people to be vigilant to ensure cases continue a downward trend. Continue to pay attention to your surroundings, particularly crowded indoor surroundings. Those are situations where I'm wearing a mask for sure still.
0: And that was Eric Graves reporting. Meantime, at the State House, lawmakers in the House passed a bill that would limit what private employers can do when it comes to vaccine mandates, requiring an opt-out for testing and other limitations. Kristen Eskow has the latest on House Bill 1001.
3: It now heads to the Senate, but several leaders of the medical and business communities say they plan to continue their opposition to this bill as it's written right now. The House bill to limit vaccine mandates has drawn scrutiny from the business and medical communities since it was first discussed in November. Vaccination, which
4: is very easy to do, very available, and uh, can be uh, uh, done almost uh, anywhere in the state, uh, is is the most cost-effective measure we have.
3: And there are still concerns about the potential impact of
4: this measure. This is not the time to make it more difficult for employers to um, uh, determine their vaccination policy.
3: The bill would require private employers who mandate the COVID-19 vaccine to allow employees to opt out if they agree to weekly testing. Employers would have to cover the cost of testing, though they can apply for partial reimbursement from the state. It would also allow employees whose exemptions are denied to receive unemployment benefits. Last week, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a federal vaccine mandate for companies with 100 or more employees. So that means the bill would have a bigger impact in Indiana if it becomes law.
2: It will have broad implications for the state and, you know, will affect the sweeping majority of Indiana employers.
3: Attorney Grayson Harbor says employees at facilities that accept Medicare and Medicaid would still have to follow the federal mandate since the vaccine requirement for those health care workers was upheld.
2: The Indiana law would likely be preempted by federal law in that case.
3: From the Indiana State House, I'm Kristen Eskow.
0: Kristen, thanks. The House also approving a tax cut this past week as we wait to see what will happen on a controversial curriculum bill this past week. Opponents of that bill rallied at the statehouse.
3: This is not about transparency at all. This is about blindfolding young Hoosiers from the reality of our history.
0: Teachers union officials and others say they feel the bill is outright racist. The Senate version of that bill appears to be off the table right now, but there's still a house bill that could be on the floor here in the coming days. We heard from leaders on both sides.
5: Starting to hear more and more from again from teachers that are uh, throwing their hands up and say, "Hey, we're just tired of this." I mean, it's really getting uh, to the point where, again, you're you, we're not allowed to teach. If it comes over here, is that bill dead here too, like 167 is? We'll take a look at it. Don't know what
4: the form of it is yet. So we've got some people here still trying to figure out if there's something that can be uh, uh, can move forward on with that kind of an idea. You know, one of the bigger issues was. The, uh, the work or the weight it put on a teacher. And look who
0: else was at the state house this week, apparently discussing this same issue with legislative leaders, among other topics. U.S. Senator and former state lawmaker Mike Braun, who's now considering a possible run for governor.
5: Parents are probably wanting to make sure that their own school boards reflect their points of view. I think that's happening across the country. It was punctuated in Virginia and I think that was the sole single issue that took a state like Virginia and threw it to now Governor Yunkin. So education and healthcare are the two most important things for most families.
0: Senator Braun certainly sounding like someone who's interested in that race for governor. We'll see. Now, this week, we also heard from Indiana Senator Todd Young, who had a lot to say about the situation overseas involving the Russian military amassing troops along the Ukrainian border.
5: If the United States does not stand firm uh, at this moment in time, in this place, and in this situation, then we could see encroachments uh, that will impact our commerce, uh, our way of life uh, in the future. This could be a fulcrum moment in um, world politics
0: and, and
5: um, international
0: relations. Indiana Congresswoman Victoria Sparks, who was born in Ukraine, also weighed in this week. Fox's Brian Kilmeade asked her about this developing situation.
3: It's sad for me to see that, you know, Soviet Union fell apart 30 years ago, and you can see how destructive socialism is, and, you know, Ukraine still cannot regain freedoms, and it's sad for me to see that countries like Russia are moving back and aligning themselves with dictatorial regimes.
0: It's certainly been a big topic this week. Meantime, the White House had to clarify some of the president's remarks on Russia after a lengthy news conference this past week marking one year in office for the Biden administration. As Washington correspondent Basil John reports, it's just one of the many topics the president addressed with reporters this week.
2: The president marked his one year in office with a press conference to address the steps his office has taken to help the country.
4: It's been a year of challenges, but it's also been a year of enormous progress.
2: Biden emphasized how his office has handled the economy, infrastructure and the coronavirus.
4: We brought together business and labor. We're about to make a record investment in rebuilding America. We have the tools, vaccines, boosters, masks,
2: tests. The president defended his administration's approach to the virus.
4: We have made enormous progress. You mentioned the number of deaths from COVID. Well, it was uh, three times that not long ago. It's coming
2: down. Everything's changing. And the president says he doesn't regret his decision to pull out of
4: Afghanistan. Do I feel badly? What's happening to as a consequence of the incompetence of the Taliban? Yes, I do. But I feel badly also about the fistulas that are taking place in Eastern Congo. I feel badly about a whole range of things around the world that we can't solve every problem.
2: The president says the future of the country depends on whether all sides can find a way to work together on the country's problems.
4: Unless you can reach consensus in a democracy, you cannot sustain the democracy. And so this is a real test.
2: If approval for the president's efforts continues to decline, it could be a worrying sign for Democrats heading into the midterm elections. Reporting in Washington, I'm Basil John.
0: President also facing a defeat in Congress on voting rights this past week and facing these sagging approval numbers, as Basil mentioned. A CBS News poll putting the president's approval rating at 44% as he hits the one-year mark. I discussed some of the challenges he and the White House are facing this week in a one-on-one interview with HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge. From the pandemic to inflation, why has this past year been so challenging in your view?
6: Well, there are a number of things that have created what you are calling challenges, what I'm calling opportunities. It's been challenged because we have been in an unprecedented uh, pandemic. No one anticipated it would go nearly this long or we would continue to have the variances we have. And so we've been in a perpetual situation of trying to make sure that we can keep American citizens healthy, which we are doing. The president has already made sure That more than 70% of all Americans are vaccinated. And that goes from those who have the, the best access to those who are disabled, to those who live in public housing, to the people in most need. So that in itself has been a challenge. And as a result of the pandemic, of course, people's jobs are not as stable as maybe some would think they would be. People were losing their homes, renting, losing their apartments. And so the president has put himself in a position to make sure that we can take care of the people of America. And we've done that by making sure that they're not evicted from their apartments or evicted or from their homes. And so I think that it is a challenging environment. People don't feel good about where we are as a nation because they just don't feel good about what is happening. Many of those things outside of the president's control, but he has taken a responsibility to make sure that resources are there to change the dynamic through the rescue plan, mm-hmm. you know, with COVID resources. Uh, just announced this week, you can start to order your COVID tests uh, just online or even start to make phone calls to get them. He has looked at how we can reduce the amount of poverty in this country by making sure that uh, people have uh, the earned income tax credit, uh, the checks that he promised in the very beginning. He has made sure that people's lives are not at risk in a way that they have been. And so I know it's challenging, but he's done an awful lot to make sure that we are moving this nation in the right direction.
0: Inflation certainly an issue also that impacts every American when it comes to their budget, being able to pay the rent, being able to pay their mortgage. A recent CBS News poll had the president's approval rating at an all-time low, 44%. Among those who disapproved, 63% said their opinion of him would improve if he gets inflation down versus just 24% who said their opinion would improve if he could get Build Back Better passed. Does he need to focus more closely on this inflation issue in the months ahead?
6: No question. And I think he said as much. Um, What we have to do is look at how we can take the stress off of of building supplies off of how we get things through the market. We need to make sure that, and he talked about this yesterday, how we put more competitiveness in our market. You can't allow uh, people to control large swaths of what we need, whether it be meat, whether it be uh, pharmaceuticals or whatever it is. We need to make sure that the market is competitive.
0: All right. We've got more of that interview on our website. Coming up next, we'll talk with our panel about the president's first year in office and the latest setback for the White House with the voting rights bill failing to pass the Senate. So what's next? We'll break down straight ahead. All right. Let's bring in our panel now, Laura Wilson, Abdul-Hakim Shabazz, Shia Boyd, and Adam Wren. Laura, I'm going to start with you. As the president reaches this one-year mark, he's facing a lot of challenges and certainly a lot of criticism about the way He's handled some of these crises.
7: He absolutely is and you saw this when he addressed in his press conference it's very long it's an hour and 50 minutes and he was ready to keep going uh, he he wanted to combat these heads-on he knows that there have been a lot of disappointments that there have been some setbacks. And uh, he's trying to address these. I think the real challenge is typically in congressional midterms that we're coming up to in November, the president and the president's party do sag in terms of approval, in terms of voting. Um, It is hard to pass through what you want. It is hard to accomplish what you need to within the span of, at this point, two years. By the time we get to election, almost Uh, two years. And I I think you saw it. He's very defensive about it. And he wants to have a couple wins in before that midterm election.
0: Abdul, your thoughts uh, on the first year in office and also the president's news conference this past week, the White House having to clarify a couple things uh, that he said, uh, particularly on Russia.
5: Uh, Yeah, Uh, well, that's basically uh, that's sort of been Joe Biden's motif. He he speaks his mind, but sometimes to go back and sort of clarify what his mind was talking about. Uh, As far as his first year goes, Like I said, we're in an unprecedented time. We're still dealing with a global pandemic. We're dealing with supply chain shortages uh, and inflation. And even though his approval rate is only 40-something-odd percent, I remind people uh, a day in the politics is lifetime. There's a lot of time now between now and 2022 and 2024. And anything can happen, and usually it kind of does.
0: Bring in Oshia Boyd now from the Indianapolis Recorder. Uh, Another big setback for the White House this week, Oshia, on the voting rights bill. Uh, What will that mean moving forward toward 2024?
8: I'm not really sure what it will mean, but it will definitely mean there's a lot of work ahead for the Democrats. Um, they need to really sell this uh, legislation to, to get people to vote for it to get well to get cinema and mansion to actually vote for it. Um, I don't know what it will take to actually get them on board, but I, I'm not sure that Joe Biden, the president, Joe Biden has really done a great job of selling it and getting people on board and to make there needs to be obviously he needs to make some kind of uh, concessions. And that doesn't seem to be happening right now.
0: All right. Finally, insiders, Adam Wren. Adam, the president uh, in a tough spot, losing support from uh, progressives for not getting some of these bills across the finish line, facing a lot of heat from Republicans too right now.
9: Yeah, and and not only that, but his chief of staff, uh, Hoosier native Ron Klain, is is in the crosshairs as well. Uh, Moderate Democrats in Congress are complaining that he's spending too much time listening to progressives. So he's really getting it from both sides. Uh, but we know from reporting that he plans to at least stay on uh, at the White House uh, through the midterms uh, this year.
0: All right, Abdul, let's talk about everything happening at the State House, including this bill limiting vaccine mandates. It passed in the House. Uh, will we see it pass in the Senate as well, or could there be some roadblocks there?
5: Uh, we spoke to uh, Senate President Pro Tem uh, Rod Bray on Friday as part of the, part, third part of the media gaggle, uh, and the Senate has done their version, which does not include uh, these exemptions for uh, employer employer mandates. So uh, the House and Senate are going to have to sit down and figure it out. Now, everyone, said that, when everyone says, they're, they're, says it's the right. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. But this is one of those things where either you want the mandates or exemptions for the mandates or you don't. And I don't see a whole lot of leeway uh, between the two, at least not right now.
0: Laura, this is a bill that Governor Holcomb has expressed some concerns about, along with the Indiana Chamber, who we heard from earlier. It seems this issue may be kind of a test of the governor's and the chamber's political strength. Typically, both have a lot of influence at the statehouse.
7: I think you're absolutely right. And not only is it a test of the strength, I think it's going to be yet again a test of the relationships that you see between the executive branch and the legislative branch. Uh, We've seen a lot of conflict between those two branches. A lot of animosity play out in the last 23 months or so. And this is another potential showdown if it goes through the way that it might, uh, where you're going to have to see what Holcomb is willing to reconcile with what the governor is interested in doing, what the legislature will be doing. And of course, there's speculation about what the governor is interested in doing in his long-term career plans that could influence this conversation too. Let's talk
0: about this curriculum controversy too. It seems like that bill could face an uphill climb in the state Senate. Oshia, you wrote about this issue last week in the recorder, and certainly it's a controversy that's brought a lot of national attention upon Indiana?
8: Yes, obviously. Um, We saw the teachers' ISTA come out against this bill. Um, Several African-American organizations have come out against this bill. Uh, So I'm wondering where it's going to go next. Is it going to see the same fate as the Senate bill, or are they going to do some uh, tweaks to kind of address some of these these issues? But I definitely see the bill as a smokescreen. Um, It's really talking about critical race theory. That's what the bill is really about. And my in protecting children, I like I said last week, who are we protecting? Protecting them from what? Um, I think there's a lot of issues that, that could be discussed um, in education that are much more important than this. Um, but w- here we are, we're, we're still here with this um, ghost of critical race theory, which uh, is really d- diversity, equity and inclusion education.
0: Abdul, where do you see this conversation headed at the state house?
5: Uh, like I said, uh, like I said, it's not where you start, is necessarily where you're finished. And if, the, if the Senate is any indication, there's no real appetite uh, to address this issue. But it'll be interesting to see what happens, uh, like I said, early next week uh, when the House does their amendments uh, to the bill, because Tony Cook will be back. His father passed by when extend extended sympathies uh, to him and his family. Uh, but Tony Cook, uh, the legislator from CISCO, a former pr- teacher, former principal, uh, will be crucial in whatever happens with the, with the House version uh, of the critical race theory bill.
0: Adam, you heard Senator Braun in our last segment pointing to this education issue as a reason why Republicans won the governor's race in Virginia, perhaps an issue he's hoping to take to the governor's race here in 2024, certainly an issue that we may hear a lot about in the midterm election year this year as well.
9: That's right yeah he seized on some of secretary education secretary miguel cardona's comments in an interview with me last fall when the secretary suggested that people who are flooding school board meetings were upset about uh trump losing and so i think braun sees this himself as school board member as a way to really uh build support for a possible Uh, gubernatorial run in 2024. Uh, We know from his comments that he doesn't seem to be enjoying himself entirely in the Senate is more of an executive. And so I I would be surprised to see him not not run, given his vast uh, fortune and his political appetite for this race. Mm.
0: Uh, Who is enjoying themselves in the U.S. Senate right now, by the way? That's a whole (laughs) other matter. Our (laughs) Our thanks to the panel. They'll be back coming up later on in the show. Up next, bringing more events to Indiana what one state lawmaker is telling us about boosting our economy through sports. A bill aimed at attracting more athletic events and bringing more sports tourism to Indiana is on its way to the state Senate. The proposal would create a fund for the Indiana Sports Corporation to bring events here and to the entire state really. Comes after this month's college football playoff championship in Indianapolis projected to have a $150 million impact on the state's economy. The bill's sponsor says the $5 million investment would pay great dividends.
1: Indiana Sports Corp., uh, through their efforts statewide, had an economic impact of over $76 million just last year, they, uh, which, which also amounted to over $5 million in local taxes and $5 million in state taxes.
0: Now, if approved by lawmakers, full funding wouldn't be determined until next year during the budget session. Stick around. We're back with this week's winners and losers right after this. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Laura, I'll start with you.
7: Well, both my winners and losers involve the voting rights legislation. The winners are the filibuster, and time will tell, but certainly Senators Manchin and Sinema didn't want to change that, and they didn't have to. The losers, unfortunately for those who wanted to see voting rights reaffirmed and expanded, this is a
9: major loss at the federal level. Adam? Adam? My loser is Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who compared African American voters to American voters, and my winner is Joe Hogsett, who finished last year by doubling his cash on hand with two point four million dollars, which appears to be a city record.
8: Oh, shea. My winners are the Americans, as we are getting uh, COVID tests and, and masks from the federal government, and my losers, Indiana two counties in the red, two years in the COVID, that's still pretty sad.
1: All
0: of our counties in that red category now on the, on the metric map. Abdul, you get the last word.
5: Uh, just one winner this week, our mutual friend and colleague here at In InFocus, uh, Jennifer Wagner, who got married uh, this weekend uh, here in Indianapolis, nothing but the best for her, her kids, and a new husband. Our
0: congratulations uh, to Jennifer and Michael, and our thanks to our panel for being here with us this week. Our thanks to all of you for joining us. We'll see you again on next week's edition of InFocus.